0: We're uh, we're starting a new study today. So if you'll open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, it's in the Old Testament, ninth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. So, ninth book there. It's page 240 in my Bible if that helps you. I'm Pastor Ted, by the way, if you're new to the church, I'm one of the pastors here. We're blessed to start uh, this study. A uh, little introduction to the book of 1 Samuel as you're making your way there. The, book, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel uh, actually mark a huge transition in the nation of Israel, uh, transitioning from the time of the judges to the time of the kings and the prophets, Uh, The issue at hand throughout this book, if I could sum up in one word, it would be the word leadership. The issue is leadership. This is the issue that's at hand. It's been said that everything rises or falls on leadership, and this is especially true in the kingdom of God, determining who you and I are going to follow as our leader. Your walk as a man or woman of God, your, your works in this world, your family's well-being, they all rise or fall on this issue of leadership. As I scan around, I see a few gray hairs like me. So some, several of you will remember a sitcom from back in the 80s. Actually, you don't have to have gray hair for this. Uh, it's still in syndication. But it was a show called Who's the Boss with Tony Danza. And, and, and the basic premise of this whole sitcom was, was that, that you've got this guy, former, former, you know, Major League Baseball player who, who improbably takes this job as a housekeeper, uh, with his daughter and they move into, to this, this, the professional woman's home, she and, and her child, and, uh, and the, the, the running shtick there is that, you know, who's the boss, right? It's this role reversal kind of thing. The man's working as the housekeeper, the woman is working as the, the breadwinner, uh, total agenda show, but we'll leave that for another time. At any rate, the whole idea, the whole premise, it's, it's who's the boss, right? And, and that is the question. And this play on words, who's the boss, it's the question that the book of 1 Samuel continually confronts, hey, who's the boss? Who's in charge here? Who, who is it that's going to be in charge? Is it going to be you that's in charge? Is it going to be God that's in charge? And that's why I've entitled this series, Colliding Kingdoms, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that we, we have our little kingdom, and we have God's grand kingdom, and it's a constant conflict, isn't it? Who's the boss? Who's going to be in charge? Well, the events of 1 Samuel, they take place over a span of about 110 years. Uh, They stretch from the closing day of the judges uh, when Samuel was born in about 1120 B.C. uh, And they go through the death of Saul in uh, 1011 B.C., And during this time, what we see is we'll see the birth of Samuel, we'll see his call from God to a a prophetic ministry, we'll see the rise and fall of King Saul, we're going to look at uh, the anointing and the trials of King David, and we're going to see that all these events, they take place in the land of Israel, and again, the book begins during the time of the judges. That's significant for us, and it's it's good to understand, as I move this. Um, It's significant for us and good to understand that during the time of the judges, this was a time when there was no king and when the people, by and large, did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, We read in the book of Judges, I'll put it on the screen for you, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and so what happens here, the first three chapters, what you're going to see is that the name Jehovah Yahweh is used over 60 times. That's significant. Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah Yahweh literally means Lord. It means master. It means absolute ruler. And the name denotes the, the omnipotence of God. The fact that God is all-powerful, that he is almighty. And, and so the, the idea that, well, the fact that his name is mentioned over 60 times, it indicates that, that he is the central figure at work behind the scenes. It's important for us to understand this. Yes, we're going to meet a lot of different characters. We're, we're going to meet today a, a guy by the name of uh, Elkaniah and uh, his wife Hannah and his wife uh, Panina. Um, and we're going to be looking as we go through the, the, the book, Eli, looking at Eli and Samuel and Saul and David, and we see a lot of different characters, uh, but the focus of this book is God. We can't lose sight of that because here's the big problem facing, facing the nation of Israel that although God is omnipotent, that he is Lord, Master, Absolute Ruler, Almighty, All-Powerful, the people aren't regarding him in this way. In name, they're still under the banner of Israel, which literally means ruled by God. But it's in name only. And I would give you a question to consider as we jump into the book now, something just to to maybe even jot down and and take a walk with later on. Here's the question for you to consider today. Who rules you? Who's the boss in your life? First Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a certain man uh, uh, of Ramatham... Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkaniah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an uh, an Ephraimite. Verse 2, and he had two wives. There's this problem right there. Uh, His name of one was Hannah, and uh, of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. In Shiloh. Now, in Shiloh, here's the deal. When the the Israelites, when they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, they set up the tabernacle in Shiloh. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the tabernacle is, is, is erected. That's where they would go to worship. And it would be that way until such time as they would erect and build the temple in Jerusalem, and then that would become the place where they would go to make their sacrifices and worship the Lord. But at this point in time, as we're reading this, the temple's not yet been built. And So the tabernacle is, is set up there in Shiloh. This is where they would go to sacrifice and worship. And, uh, and so we read there in verse 3 that uh, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, these guys are, are, these are wretched men. Uh, we're going to learn about them as we go through the book. But these, these guys are, uh, they are, well, let's just say they're not the guys you want your, to take your daughter to for counseling. I mean, these guys are shysters, they're, they're getting women drunk, and they're, you know, having sexual relations with the women and, and all of the stuff. They're supposed to be the priests. Um, some things never change. We look at, you know, the day and age we live in today, and it makes headline news, and it's, and it's such an absolute... A uh, horrible thing and devastating thing that happens to the body of Christ when religious men and, and spiritual men who are leaders uh have such a a, uh, a horrible fall and cause such damage and destruction, we're gonna see that these two men are wicked, wicked, wicked. They they give the Lord a bad name. And it's interesting here because we're looking about this this holy man, Elkaniah. Yeah, and, uh, he right here is contrasted. Now, the, the Bible just makes a point of saying that these two men were there. It's kind of, you know, you go to a jeweler to look at some, some precious jewels, and the thing that they always do is they'll put out that black velvet, uh, backdrop, and then they'll set the jewels on it, and what happens is the, the contrast between the black background and the, the jewel that's before it, uh, just makes it this, this striking appearance, and, and, uh, you know, fairly think the Holy Spirit is doing that here in First Samuel as this contrast is, is listed there in verse 3 that here you've got uh, El- Elkaniah going up, this, this holy man, uh, this godly man, and uh, then it just says, and uh, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, uh, they were there. So it begins, there was a certain man. You might want to underline that. Here's the deal. Whenever God does a work, it always begins with a certain man. When 10,000 or when a thousand or rather 10,000 orphans were starving in Bristol, England, um, God began with a certain man. He began with George Mueller to, to minister to those kids. When God brought revival to the American colonies, it began with a certain man, Jonathan Edwards. When God desired to reach drug-addicted hippies, it began with a certain man, Chuck Smith. And here, when all Israel is doing what's right in its own eyes, God, wanting to bring change, begins with a certain man. He he begins with Elkaniah. Now, the book of Chronicles tells us that Elkaniah was a Levite. Now, a Levite was a, a member of the Hebrew tribe of Levi. Uh, They were the ones that served key responsibilities for the Israelites. And the Israelites were the ones who served as priests, as musicians, as temple guards. They all came from the tribe of Levi. And the law required of a Levite that if you were going to serve as as a a Levitical priest, um, that you would serve from the ages of 25 to 50 years of age. And now here, Elkaniah is... uh, No doubt older than 50 years of age, but here what we see is that although his formal age of service as a temple priest has passed, yet what we see in this man is he is a devoted man to God, and he's taking his wife and he's taking his children up to Shiloh. And he's making this pilgrimage and he's making it a priority in his life. And what we see there, again, contrasted with Hophni and Phinehas, is that, hey, these guys, they're there. This is what they're called to do. But they're wicked and they're, and they're using the opportunity for sin and and licentiousness. But, but here, this man, Elkaniah, well, he's devoted. He's the real deal. And that's that's what stands out here and and that's the picture that the Lord wants us to see. Is that he's a man who's devoted to him. Now, we see in verse 2 there that uh, Elkaniah had two wives. Um it's fairly common in this culture, uh this this polygamy and having having multiple wives. Um and um there are many practical reasons for it in the culture why they would you know have multiple wives for for them the you know they they would have you know, the birth rate uh, is always a little slightly leaning more towards uh, girls than than boys, um, and uh, boys were very uh, much important, uh, especially in this culture. Uh, there was lots of, they're in a, a gregarian culture, and so there, there's a lot of, uh, of farming and, and work in the fields that needs to be done. There's, there's warfare and, and attrition through that, and and all of these reasons, not excuses, but all these reasons why, you know, they would have multiple wives, uh, back then. And, uh, in this situation, what we, what we go on to find out is that, uh, Hannah couldn't have any children, his wife. And, uh, and so it's entirely possible that, uh, that this man has, has taken Penina as his wife, uh, because she can bear him children. We'll look at more of that in, in just a minute. But uh, Hannah, here's this gal, and, and her name means gracious or favored. Gracious or favored. Um, and, uh, and certainly for her, that's in doubt because now she's without children. And uh, in this day and age, it was so critically important and everything was tied up in your ability not only to produce offspring, but to produce male offspring. She's not producing any offspring. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. You also have uh, Penina. Her name means Jewel. Um, and uh, now Hannah's mentioned first and, you know, we can't read a lot into that, but it's probably because she was uh, his first wife. Um, uh, it's, she's probably mentioned first because uh, she was his favorite. We'll see that uh, displayed here in a minute. And again, it's likely that he married Penina second because his first wife could not uh, bear children. Uh, verse 4 says, and uh, whenever the time came for Elkaniah to make an offering, he would give portions to uh, Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But, verse 5, to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, take note of that. The Lord had closed her womb. We're going to see in verse 20 when when we get there that um, God opens Hannah's womb. That in time God's going to bless her, um, that he's going to give to her a son. He's going to give to her, in fact, many sons and many daughters. Um, We're going to see that her first son uh, will change the course of the nation. We're going to see her first son be greatly used of God to institute the Davidic dynasty through whom ultimately uh, the Messiah will come. Uh, We're going to see all this, but here in the text at this moment in time, right now when we're reading it, it makes it clear that God has closed her womb. Why? Why? Well, that's an important subject. As a matter of fact, it's everything that we're going to look on for the remainder of today hinges on the answer to that question. See, because what I want you to understand is that in order for all of that to happen, for for God to change the course of the nation, for him to institute the Davidic dynasty, for him through that Davidic dynasty to usher in the Messiah, for all of that to take place, God first has to deal with Hannah's heart. Hannah's heart. Look at verse 6 tells us, and her rival. Ladies, who do you think that is? That's Panina, right? That's the chick that's married to her husband, giving him all his children. And, uh, and so this is very much a rival to Hannah. Her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, that's Peninnah, had provoked her, that's Hannah, therefore she, Hannah, wept and did not eat. Now what's the dynamic that's going on here? Well clearly the dynamic that is going on here is that Peninnah has a sense well that she's not her husband's favorite. She knows, she can see that, well Hannah's the one that has his heart. Hannah's the one that that he has you know that special place in his heart and affection for, and so she is no doubt embittered with her husband in the sense that look she's she doesn't occupy that first place in his heart. She may well be thinking in her mind you know what all I am to him is a baby machine. That's all I am. I'm just the one that gives him you know his his children. But he really doesn't care for me. And so what happens is that, well, the object of his affection is the one that gets all of her ridicule, all of her scorn, all of her, all of her shame, all of, all, uh, all the, the, the negativity that she has. Man, it all comes both barrels on Hannah. And so what we see happening is that it's happening year after year. And Hannah's enduring this. Now, you put yourself in Hannah's shoes, and how, how ladies, are you feeling right now? Are well, you feeling horrible? And this is exactly where Hannah's at. She's, she's, she, she's, dealing, she's dealing with a lot, and she, we're going to see, she goes up year by year. And, and what do you think the top of her prayer list is? Lord, give me a child. She's begging, she's pleading, Lord, give me a child. She's desperate. God has to deal with her heart. And so her rival provoked her year by year. And then, verse 8, Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Get this, am I not better to you than 10 sons? This is Mr. Sensitivity in all of his splendor, isn't it? He's like, hey, sugar pie, baby, you got me. What do you want with a kid, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, here's the thing. Ironically, and this is the case for, for so many of us married, that when God is teaching our spouse something, a lot of times, have you ever noticed, he has to teach you the same lesson? It's certainly the case here. What what we see going on is that that the Lord, man, well, what Elkaniah needs to know and what God is in the process of teaching Hannah and he needs to know this as well. Listen, here's what, what she needs to know. Look, your husband cannot meet, the, meet the, the deepest needs of your heart. He needs to hear, because he's saying, baby, you got me. I'm better to you than 10 sons. And he needs to hear, look, y- you can't meet, Elkaniah, the deepest need of her heart. But conversely, Hannah, a child can't meet the deepest need of your heart. See, see, the issue is, it, it, it can't be a child that meets the need of your heart. It can't be your husband or your spouse that meets, meets the, the deepest need of your heart. Only God, can meet the deepest needs of our heart. It's only in him that we're gonna find our greatest satisfaction. And anytime we seek to find fulfillment in person or in possessions, man, it always leads to heartache. It always ends up not going well. You think of the woman at the well. Here's a gal that needed to learn this lesson as well. I mean, Jesus is there. He's like, look, you've got five husbands and you still ain't happy. You're drinking from the wrong well, lady. And there's so many of us, man, we're drinking from the wrong well. We're looking for everything else. That What is, what is it that's going to satisfy me? What is it that's going to bring me a, a sense of, of, of peace, a sense of, of, of completion, a, a sense of satisfaction? And we look to, feel, to fill that need with relationships or, or with stuff. And what we really need is the Lord and we really need to surrender to Him. And this is, this is the work that, that God is doing in her heart. Listen, if, if we're going to put the weight and pressure on earthly relationships to be for me what only God can be for me, then the end, the end result is, it's going to be pain and heartache. My mom had uh, a really difficult upbringing for her. She was raised at a young age at home with mom and dad, um, both of whom were alcoholics. Uh, her father was a, was a pilot. He'd been a, a World War II fighter pilot. And, uh, and so and then now he was a commercial pilot. And uh, he, of course, wouldn't drink when he was flying, but then when he was off, he would binge drink. And, uh, and so the mom also, her mom going through, through all kinds of stuff. Well, at, at a certain point in time, and my mom was probably, you know, five or six years old, her mom committed suicide. Something I didn't know about until I was married with children, you know. Um, but her mom committed suicide. And, and for her father, you know, he, this woman for him was Everything. She was the love of his life. I mean, to the day he died, he would talk about Bobby, my, my grandmother, who took her life. And, um, and so my mom was, was unceremoniously shipped off to be raised by her aunt and uncle. Um, it was a, a crazy lifestyle. My mom, if you meet her today, she is remarkably sane. She's, she is an awesome woman, she loves the Lord. Um, and, uh, and you know, you sit down and have a, have a conversation with this woman, and you think, knowing just the jacked-up family history that you came from, I mean, we're all a piece of work in some regard, you know, <laughs> and you would think my mom would be, you know, that lady's a piece of work. Man, she's a work of art, and she's a, she's a really godly woman, but she and my dad were having this conversation, and uh, she said to my father at one point, she said, um, she was crying and lamenting, and she was going through just a time of depression. Uh, she was struggling through some issue. I don't know what the issue was, but um, she said to my father in, in, in between tears and sobbing, she said, I never had a mother. And if I would have had a mother, I, it would have you know, been so much different. Yeah, you know, In fact, actually, now that I'm speaking, I do remember the occasion of the, the thing. She was, it was right after my, my oldest uh, sister was born. This is my mom's first child, and she has her first child, and she's thinking, I want my mom here to, to help me, you know, with, with this child. And so she's crying, she's sobbing, probably dealing with postpartum depression a little bit. And, and she's thinking, I, and my dad said, well, baby, what is wrong? And, and she said, I never had a mother. I wish I would have had a mother. I need a mother here. And my dad wisely, he said to her at this point, he says, well, why don't, Patty, why don't you tell me, you know, what, what a mother is to you? What, what are you lacking that you, would have, that you would have gotten in your mother? And so my mom began to rattle off this list of the things that you know, she would have received if she had had a mother growing up. And, and finally, my dad interrupted her and he said, baby, that's no mother that I've ever known. You've just described Jesus Christ. And my mom said, in that moment, a light bulb went on in her life and she was set free because she realized everything I need He's in the Lord. He's, every, he's, every, he's everything I need. He's everything I need. And God wants to bring Hannah to the place to where she trusts the Lord only to meet His deepest needs. He wants to bring Hannah to the place where she says, "Lord, I'm yours, I belong entirely to you, and, and any children that you may give me, they, Lord, belong entirely to you." And so he's doing this conforming work in her life, and the, and the question again is, Hannah, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Now, I want you to look in verse 5 and, and look at that, that, the, the phrase there where it, we read towards the end of the, the, the sentence there. It says, the Lord had closed her womb. Maybe you might want to circle that. And, and nearby, I would have you write down this question. What has the Lord closed to me? What has the Lord closed to me. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a season of life that's closed to you. Listen, when God closes something in your life, he's directing you. Let me say that again because it's important. When God closes something in your life, he's directing you. Helen Keller said this, she said, when one door of happiness closes, another opens, but often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one that has been opened for us. I think that's incredibly insightful, it's certainly true, but how do we determine which door it is that God is opening for us? Well, it's prayer. And that's exactly what we're going to see Hannah do here. She's going to go to the Lord in prayer, and it's through her prayers that God is going to open up to her, hey, listen, I've closed your womb, but I'm going to open your eyes to something bigger. And so what we need to understand here, because a lot of times we have the wrong idea about prayer, and so what we need to understand in regards to prayer, prayer isn't for the purpose of getting our will done on earth. Because a lot of times we go to God and we say, hey, God, here's the problem. Here's how I want you to fix it. Could you get that done by 5 o'clock? If you wouldn't be too much trouble. Six at the latest, but I need you to handle this thing right now. You know, and so we go to God and we treat him so often like he's, you know, the genie in the bottle and, and I'm going to get my three wishes and let me just rub on the bottle through prayer and, you know, or someone has, has likened God to, to a pinata, you know, and we think we're just going to beat on the pinata with prayer and out come all the goodies, you know. And, and so prayer is not for the purpose of getting our will done on earth. Rather, it's for the purpose of getting God's heavenly will done on earth. You think about it. Jesus, he was approached by his disciples. They asked him, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, I'll teach you how to pray. Here, here's the deal. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6. And and as we're gonna see, discovering God's will, it's the key to Hannah's closed door in her life. Let's look at together, verse nine. Now, her her husband has just made this incredibly sensitive uh, statement. You've got me, why why are you all grieved? You know, aren't I better to you than 10 sons? And um, what we don't read in the next verse is uh, her response to that. Rather, Hannah arose after that. Doesn't say she stormed out. But after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, now Eli the priest was sitting <clears throat> on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Significant. She's not bitter at the Lord. She's in bitterness of soul. Ocean of difference between the two. But she knows where to go. She, she runs to the Lord. And so she... Wept in anguish, verse 11, and then she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant but we will give your maidservant three times in a row. Listen, here's the deal. This girl, she's crying out to the Lord. She's in anguish. She's embittered. This woman, her adversary is making her life a living hell. She can't have kids. She can't be, you know, this, what, what a woman of that day is considered fulfilled and worthwhile if she's able to produce offspring and male offspring and she can't do that and she's bitter and she's at the end of her rope. And yet she goes to God in prayer and she says three times over, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. And, and, and my life isn't going the way that I had planned for it to go, but you're God and I'm not. I get it, God. And, I, and, and no matter what happens, I'm yours, I'm your servant. She says, give your maidservant a male child. And then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. She's saying, listen, I'm going to give you this child. No razor coming upon his head. Listen, he will be in in the Levitical line. This child will be dedicated to you. And it happened, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. She's not praying out loud. She's praying in her heart, but her, she's mouthing the words as she prays. And therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. <laughs> this girl's just surrounded with sensitive men, isn't she? Right? Right? I mean, her husband, baby, yeah, you got me, what you, what's the deal? And now, you know, how long are you going to, you're going to be drunk, you know, this guy looking at her. Just an aside, this is <clears throat> really not in my notes and really not part of the main teaching, but I'm persuaded here that, I don't know, we misjudge people a lot, don't we? I mean, think of all the times I've misjudged people. We could go off on a tangent on that. But Eli misjudges her. Um, <clears throat> how, long, how long are you going to be drunk? And um, verse 15, but Hannah Hannah answered, and she said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful heart, sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and he said, Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. She believed in her heart that she had had what she had prayed for. The whole key... To, to having our prayers answered by God is this issue of faith. And so she prays to the Lord of hosts. It's interesting. That phrase, Lord of hosts, this is the first time that that phrase is recorded in Scripture where somebody has spoken it out. The Lord of hosts, it means a very telling thing. It's, it's the God of heaven and earth the Lord of hosts is the God of principalities, of powers, the God of billions, hosts meaning a multitude. God is Lord over all, principalities, powers, billions of people, billions and billions of people, and the Lord, he's the Lord of them all. He's the Lord of every, every of the spiritual realm. He's the Lord of heaven, he's the Lord of earth, he's the Lord of every molecule and atom in our, in, in our solar systems and in, in the multitude of solar systems. He is, he is the Lord of hosts, and yet the Lord is intimately concerned with this one woman crying out for a child, for the Lord to open her womb. Listen, he has a plan for her, not just for her, but for her unborn child. And, and some of you, you're in that place today. Maybe, you know, at the, the place that Hannah's in, maybe you're at the end of your rope, maybe you're at the place of anguish, maybe you're at the place of just, you know, what on earth, God? I mean, I've got whiplash from just what I've been through and what the heck is going on. <clears throat> and if you're in that place, you can relate, you know. Listen, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and, and everything. Everyone in it. No matter what problem, no matter what issue, no matter what it is that we're burdened with, he is the Lord of hosts. And he has a plan. He's working. Jesus told his disciples, my father's always at work to this day, and I too am working. Listen, he's working right now. He's working today. He's working in your life. He's working in Hannah's life, although she can't see it. He sees. He knows. He cares. He's working. See, what's happening in Hannah's life is God's doing a work. God needs Hannah to get to the place to where it's not all about this child. He needs Hannah to get to the place where she says, Lord, You're the Lord of hosts, and I got an issue here, and I'm going to come to you. But Lord, at the end of the day, you're God, and I'm not. So I'm going to make my petition to you, and I'm going to surrender to you. And what's happening here is that God is doing this conforming work in her heart. And what he wants to do is he wants to take this child from the place of idol, which is what it is for her right now, and he wants to say, no, 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 no. I need to be on the throne of your heart. Hannah, I need to be at the place to where at the end of the day, it's about you honoring me, you fulfilling my will, and allowing me to to accomplish my will in you and through you. And I want to open your womb. I desire to give you children. But not on your terms, Hannah. Hannah. I'm going to give you children on my terms and I need you to be conformed. Not to be praying, hey, Lord, I want my will done on earth. But Lord, I want your will done on earth. And this is the work that he's doing in her heart. Maybe it's the work he's doing in your heart today. I had a conversation with a, with a young mom some time back, it was concerning this particular section of, of Scripture. And basically, she was making the observation that, man, this is cruel of God to take Hannah's son. This is, this is so cruel because, because this is, you know, she's saying, Lord, give me a child and I'll give him to you. And, and she's like, that's just Cruel. I said, look, you don't have any idea. And Hannah certainly up until this point didn't have any idea about how majestic God's plan is. How awesome his plan is. See, listen, God's going to use Hannah's son in ways that she could never imagine. But in order for him to use her son in that way, he has to be surrendered to him from birth. He has to be a man that is dedicated to him. And, and, and so the, the idea here, what God is going to do through the son that he is going to give to Hannah, he's, I mean, he's going to do incredible things. Psalm 99 lists Samuel first among those who call upon his name. The book of Acts lists him first among the prophets. The, the, the book of, of Hebrews lists Samuel in the hall of faith. Samuel is the son that God is going to give to Hannah. And so there's an incredible thing that he's going to do. Through Samuel, he's going to change the course of the nation and the course of the world. Through Samuel, God's going to institute the Davidic dynasty, and from that Davidic dynasty, ultimately, he's going to usher in the Messiah. And today, you and I are here, and we have the hope of eternal life because of the, the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and an integral part of God's plan was this child that Hannah is begging God for, and God needs to tweak Hannah's heart and get her to the place where he says, not on your terms, little girl, not on your terms, on my terms, yeah, I'll give you a son, that's my terms. And that's what's happening here. And God has to do that work in our life. And what I need you guys to hear is that sometimes when we're, it, no, it, okay, I'll just say it bluntly. It sucks being in the barrel, okay? It just absolutely stinks being in the barrel. And sometimes God says the only place where I can get you to, to where I need you to be is to stick you in the barrel. And we're in the barrel and we're like, get me out of the barrel. And God's like, you're not cooked yet. You're not done. You're about there but I need you to come to the end of yourself. And some of you today, you're in the barrel. And I, and I, I just encourage you through the, through the testimony of Hannah. Listen, God wants to get you to his side of things. He wants you to get you to, to his terms, not your terms. This is what's going on here. And listen, you know, the issue here is that God is going to bless her. He's going to give her this child and he's going to give her three more sons and he's going to give her two daughters. And so we're going to see God open her womb and he's going to give to her what she's asked for but this first son, listen, this first son is destined for God's use. I'll, I'll tell you a very personal story for us here at Reliance Church and, you know, and you know, many of you know the story. But... Um, when we were first starting this church, uh, seven years ago, um, Andrea and Kylo were, were, were with us. They're part of our worship team. You, you know Kylo, he, he leads worship for us, and Andrea sings. And she, at the time, she was pregnant with their first child. And, um, and they desperately wanted this child. They were looking forward to this child. She went full term. And uh, tragically, in the delivery room, something went horribly wrong. And little Addie died. Uh, she, they, they, they revived her they put her on a ventilator. But later that night, she died. And it was, uh, it, it, you, you, words can't describe the, just the painful anguish that they went through. But it's interesting because Andrea, she told me that the Lord had given her A sense and a very strong indication that he was going to take Addie while she was still pregnant with her, and um, and the Lord through, you know, I mean, it's just through the process. I mean, you can't describe just the horribleness of what they went through. It just is awful. But but God used little Addie's life in ways that that I mean, you you just can't even imagine. And, and and at her funeral people came to saving faith in Christ because of because of this baby now in the economy of god i mean you think about that and, and it's tragic that that god, and you and, and there's all kinds of questions and you can't you can't even begin to answer those questions i mean why and wasn't there some other way that those people could come to know him and and be redeemed and all and why did it have to cost their firstborn child? I I don't know. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. The Bible says that in heaven we will know even as we are known. We put all that together. We know that Addie is with the Lord in a place of, 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 you know, Joy unspeakable. Fullness of joy. We know that, that when we die and we go to be with the Lord, that he gives us a resurrection body, it's a, and, 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 and that, that we never get sick, that we have no pain, that we have no tears. We know that Addy, right this moment, is <clears throat> living where we all hope to be at some point in time. And we know, and Kylo and Andrea know, that they, they will see Addy, they will know Addy in heaven. But they also get to understand, listen, God had plans to use Addie for ways that they could never have imagined. Their first child was destined for God's use. This child is destined for God's use. Verse 20, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and she bore a son, And called his name Samuel, the name means literally heard of God, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. In other words, God heard me. I asked and God heard me. But also, the flip side of that same coin, I asked and I heard of God. Verse 21, now the man Elkaniah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Now this is talking about going forward. They've had the baby and and now, you know, still as it was his practice before, he's still going up to Shiloh to offer his sacrifices annually. But verse 22, Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. You see what's going on here? Hannah says, look, I know that this child belongs to the Lord. I know that the Lord has has given him to me so that I would give him back to the Lord for the Lord's use, that he will be dedicated to him. And I absolutely will do that. But let me wean the child first. They didn't, they didn't have formula back in this day and age. I mean, this child, you know, needs mom to, to live and to grow. And so he would have been weaned probably about four years of age. And so she, she gets to enjoy her child for, for the first several years. And, uh, and so Elkaniah, her husband said to her, verse 23, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. In other words, what's Elkaniah saying to his wife? He's saying, sweetheart, absolutely, I'm gonna be sensitive to, to your needs. Uh, there's a first for the guy. Baby, you got me. No, hey, look, I'm gonna be sensitive. I understand you wanna be with him. But listen, I'm also, I'm also going to encourage you, you need to keep your vow. You need to absolutely let the Lord establish his word. And, and just such a huge godly principle for us here as men. Listen, we need to be just like this man in the sense that we, we can uh, encourage our wives spiritually about the things that God has, God has called them to, and at the same time, we can do it with sensitivity. And, and you know, this, the, the man, I, I see and I'm, I'm up to hear with, with married couples where the wife is the spiritual leader in the, in the family and wears the spiritual pants in the family and, and, and you know just basically leads the husband around saying, this is what we're going to do spiritually, and the husband goes kicking and screaming because that's not the way God intended it. And what we see here is a beautiful picture of a man who says, look, I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to lead them up to worship. I'm going to encourage them in making their sacrifices to the Lord. And I'm going to encourage my wife in the vow that she kept, even when I know it's hard. And I'm also going to be sensitive with her. Husbands, dwell with them with understanding. We're exhorted in the New Testament. And so he's doing that. So he says, uh, only let the the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24, now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. This was a true sacrifice. She's going up to worship the Lord. And then, verse 25, they slaughtered a bull, and they brought the child to Eli, And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I lend him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshiped the Lord there. Listen, she's gonna leave. And this little boy's not coming home with her. This is a true act of sacrifice. And, and I, I cannot finish on that point. I have to go through the, the, just the, her prayer, which is the next 11 verses, and I'll just go through it quickly, make a couple observations, and we'll be done. But, but you need to hear what God's done in her heart and what God's doing. She's, God's blessed her. He's brought her to the place where she says, Lord, he's yours, he's not mine. And, and, Lord, I'm yours, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with your plan and with your program. And you need to understand now where, what happens in her life. It says, chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed. And she said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She's not rejoicing in the circumstances. She's rejoicing in the Lord. Listen, what an incredible prayer. She is giving her child to the Lord right now. She's known him for four years. She's giving him to the Lord and she says my heart rejoices in the lord my horn the idea of is strength or the horn like a horn of a of a rhinoceros that would be the symbol of his strength and she says my horn my strength is exalted in the lord i smile at my enemies because i rejoice in your salvation no doubt thinking about her rival there no one, chapter two, or chapter 2, verse 2, is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger, even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. Listen, what she's, what she's praying here, she's got a sense of what's going on. She has a sense of, of, that she's got the finger on the pulse of what's going on nationally, that, that everyone has turned to his own way. Everyone is, is doing what's right in his own eyes. And and the, the the there needs to be a change in the country in the nation. God needs to do a work. What you're picking up here in her prayer is she has a sense of what God is doing and what God's going to do through her son as she sacrifices this son to the Lord. She doesn't know all that it entails, but she knows it's big. And then the Lord. She says in verse six, "'The Lord kills and makes alive. "'He brings down to the grave and brings up. "'The Lord makes poor and makes rich. "'He brings low and lifts up. "'He raises the poor from the dust "'and lifts the beggar from the ash heap "'to set them among princes "'and take them uh, uh, and, and make them inherent, "'inherent the throne of God or a throne of glory.'" For the, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of the saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength, no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven, he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. There are no kings at this point in time. What's, what's, she, what's she speaking of here? She's talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is, this is the, the, the Lord speaking through this woman in her prayer. He will give strength to his king, Jesus, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Again, speaking of Jesus. And then Elkaniah went to his house at Ramah, verse 11. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. A couple of closing comments. Number one, the child ministered to the Lord. He's, he's probably a four-year-old kid and he ministers to the Lord. Listen, there is absolute ministry that is phenomenal that our kids can be involved in. I have in my Bible, the, the, the word ministered is underlined and I wrote down, children can serve with an exclamation point. Children can minister to the Lord. Absolute beautiful thing. I have four questions for you to consider as we close. I'll put them on the screen for you. By the way, uh, if you don't get them all written down, the <clears throat> messages are posted on online. You know, at, every Monday by about 9, 10 in the morning, you can go on there and, and, and get them if you miss it. But four questions you jot down. Number one, who's your boss? Do you do what's right in your eyes, or do you do what's right in God's eyes? What are you doing with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? Who's the boss? Second question take away from today's lesson, just to take a walk with. Are you equipping your family to worship God? It's a question for, for both men and women, but guys, for you, it has extra weight. Again, Elkaniah, he took his family to worship. He made a point of it. He, he made a point of, of giving his wife and his kids the provisions so that they could worship. Are you giving those provisions, metaphorically speaking, to your, to your family? Are you equipping your family to worship? Third, third question, in light of verse 11 of chapter 2, are your children ministering to the Lord? Fourth question, Are you seeking to meet the deepest needs of your heart in God alone? I I pray you'd write these questions down. Really take a walk with them because there's there's a lot here. The, the The end result is, look, who's the boss?